0: It is great to have you guys all here this morning. I'm excited to uh, open up God's Word here with you. Um, I need to tell you that this last Friday was, uh, I can honestly say, one of the worst days of my entire life. Okay, not like tragedy, super serious type of days, but just one of those days where you're like, I cannot believe this is happening, and I really don't even know what to do about it. Um, Let me just walk you through it briefly. We had a, uh, a friend of the family whose father unexpectedly passed away last weekend, and I wanted to go up to the funeral to show my support for the family and just be a presence. And this was several hours away up in Virginia, but I thought, you know what, it's okay, I can take some time while I'm driving up there and I can make some phone calls, I can listen to some podcasts, I can still be productive, I feel like this is important. And it was, and I'm really glad I went. But when I get into my vehicle to, to drive, um, I noticed that, uh, the air conditioning was not working, had like gone out like that moment. And not like the fan is blowing, but it's not cold. I mean like no fan at all. So I'm like, oh, well, that's okay, I guess. I mean, it's only 94 out, you know, no big deal. I'll have the, the, you know, the windows open and it'll be fine. So I, I, I get on my way and I start driving and I, say at least i can be productive and listen to some podcasts even though the windows are down to cool things off a little bit right so i look for you know my, my uh earbuds and my sweet son who i love very dearly or someone has grabbed them so now i've got no way to get the sound right here outside of taking my phone and trying to pull this move radio doesn't work and don't really listen to it anyway so i'm like well well this is just dandy Uh, I guess I've just got many hours in front of me just to be quiet and wait on the Lord. Which is fine. So I'm just driving along, waiting on God, talking to God, listening to God. And then the phone rings, and it's a pretty important phone call that I better take, right? So I roll up all the windows, and I start to engage in this phone call, because they would not have heard me otherwise. I don't know if you've ever, like, stepped into a sauna bath before. You know, like, especially after somebody's taken that massive bucket and, like, poured it over all those rocks and everything. But, like, the heat was intense and it was immediate. Or, like, if you've gone up to your attic in the month of August, you know what I mean? It's like immediately you can feel every little pore all of a sudden is pouring out. And I didn't want to be rude and be like, hey, you know what, I know you're pouring out your heart, but I'm hot right now, I need to go. No. So it was a 45-minute phone call, I know, because I looked at it when we said goodbye. And meanwhile, like, my face is, like, completely drenched. I'm wearing a suit and a tie, getting ready to go to this funeral. Disastrous. So it gets worse. So we get up there, you know, and I thought I had the right funeral home after driving these hours and hours. And so I pull in, you know, with maybe 45 minutes before and there's not a car in the parking lot and it's starting to rain like really, really hard. I'm like, well, that's okay. Simple mistake. So I open up my internet on my phone and my internet is not working for some reason. And then like, I know that I had the right name of the funeral home. So I just go to maps, type that in and all of a sudden it's spinning and spinning and all of a sudden, server timeout. So then I go to Waze, and then I go to Google Maps, and any other map program that I have, and I'm typing in a little bit frantic, because now we're like 30 minutes away from start time, and I've gone a long way to get here, and I'm sweating, and I'm not going to be missing this. And sure enough, everyone that I go to says server timeout, server timeout, server timeout. And I'm like, you're out of timeouts. Like pull a Chris Webber or something like, so I, I don't know. Somebody got that, thank you, yes, thank you, 1993, Michigan, I got it. Right, so I'm like, this is crazy, and I seriously don't know what to do. My internet's not working at all, and none of my maps are working, and I got to get to this other funeral home, and it's pouring out rain, and I don't have air conditioning, so I'm like, I seriously don't know what to do. So I just pull into a random McDonald's, and I go running inside to a random (laughs) lady, and I'm like, hi, can I use your phone? you know, trying not to look like some sort of creeper. She's like, uh, I'm like, listen, I'm late for a funeral, and I know I'm wet uh, because of rain, and also, well, I won't even tell you about that part of it, but can I please, you know, like type this in, okay, yep, same funeral home, and this one's 16 miles away, and I'm like 15 minutes away from when it's supposed to start, so mentally got the directions because I couldn't type it in on my phone, you follow me. So I run back out in the rain and get there, and I'm like trying to, you know, weave my way, finally get there to the funeral home. It's packed with cars, and you know, of course there's no parking spots close by, and it is torrential downpour. I'm talking Forrest Gump, like sideways rain downpour. I don't know if, what things are like here, but Northern Virginia, that's the way it was. And I finally parked like a hundred yards away. And this thing's about ready to start, and I'm like, well, here we go. It doesn't matter, uh, umbrella, like you're going to get soaked. And so I just, you know, pull the, you know, um, Tom Cruise run, you know, all the way through and like get there finally and go busting in, trying not to be too crazy. And I was there and the funeral, significant, powerful, so glad I went. It was great. But then we're done and spent time with the family. And now I got to head home several hours and none of my circumstances changed at this point. Right? I'm like, I'm still, these are all crazy back roads. It's not like normal roads. You're way up there in the country, all these roads and they're trying to give me verbal directions and I'm maybe getting it a little bit you know and whatever and so I'm trying to go back and I it's, it's a hassle and by this time of course it's dark and it's pouring rain and it's hot and steamy so I got to roll down the windows in order to you know not like completely just go crazy and rain's coming in and then it's so foggy inside on my windshield that I can't even see where I'm going. Is terrible. So I reach for the only thing that I can find, which one of my son's dirty long soccer socks. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord, I don't even know what to do at this point. Like, I don't know what to do. So I take the sock and I stick my hand out the window and I'm rubbing it against the top of the car while I'm driving in the pouring rain to get it really wet so that I can like, while I'm driving, like trying to get all the because I can't even see where I'm going. It's ridiculous. And it's like, nobody's got maps anymore. I walk into a gas station, like, map? What's a map? We don't have any maps, son. You know, I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. So I ended up, I mean, it was, it was dangerous because of the flooding, and I can't see, and it's smelling like dirty, wet cat with this sock, you know? And I'm like, I'm just going to stay overnight. This is too crazy. I'm not going to risk it. And I got home, and it was crazy. But I mention all of that to you because, of course, God's always got a lesson for you in the midst of whatever, whatever's going on. And I'm like, man, how much do we rely on our navigation and GPS? And when this thing goes haywire for some reason, we are completely lost. All it needed was an update, which when I finally updated it, it took 30 minutes to update, you know, that little bar's going like this while I'm driving, waiting for, you know. But what we believe is that this book right here is our navigation. And when we don't know where we are and we don't know what we're doing and we're unfamiliar with what's happening, it can be really frustrating and it just reinforced to me the certainty that God's word is our navigation for life. At Northwest Community Church, this is what we believe, this is what we go by. But at the same time, entering into what we're going to enter into this morning, we understand that the timetable of the navigation is much different than what we see on our smartphones. You will arrive in 12 minutes and 30 seconds. And it seems to be all timed out. It even knows when there's traffic or whatever else. But in life, when we want to go to a certain destination, we want something to happen. There's a lot of uncertainties to it. that's what we're going to really be diving into essentially this morning you know perhaps you remember a guy by the name of Ernest hemingway Ernest hemingway was an author of course and maybe in some of your literature classes in college or high school you may have heard that there was a time legend has it that he was sitting around a table with a lot of his cronies at a bar somewhere and he made them a wager I'm going to bet all of you guys that I can write a very moving novel in just six words. And so they all threw their $10 or their $20 out on the table and they said, All right, let's see what you got, smarty pants, writer man. And Ernest Hemingway wrote these six words First sale, baby shoes never worn. And with just Those six words of this fictional story in everybody else's mind, there was a novel being written about what in the world that's so impactful, that's so powerful. There could be dozens of different storylines about hope and about heartache and about failed expectations and whatever else. And they immediately paid him all of the money. So the legend says, just a few amount of words, but an unbelievably Powerful Story And this morning As part of our Words to Live By series We've chosen A very short amount of words uh, Again if you're visiting With us this summer Our series has been called Words to Live By And it's been life verses Of lots of our members Or staff or guest speakers The life verse that they Hold up as their mantra for living Or other Verses of scripture brought in from you, our faith community, that says this is a word to live by. And this verse that we're going to be talking about from John chapter 11 is actually the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It's only two words. And that's going to be the one that we're going to be focusing on here this morning. Short as it is, powerful in its meaning and context. So I had an interesting Friday, but I need to tell you that, um, that I've also had an interesting and a very powerful and gut-wrenching week. Here we're entering into John chapter 11. You can feel free to turn there in your copy of Scripture. John chapter 11 is entering into a powerful week for Jesus and his ministry. I believe that God really led me to this message within the last 10 days because of what was going on. In my life. You know, I mentioned to you last Saturday, a dear friend, father suddenly died. I can't tell you how difficult it is as a pastoral person, and even deeper than that, as a friend and as a human, to sit with someone and talk with someone when they've experienced that kind of loss. Other news that we got last weekend my father, who has been here before, uh, has been re diagnosed with lymphoma. He had that five years ago, took a bunch of treatments, and he had these giant, puffy things on his on his neck and they all dissipated because of the chemotherapy and it was a great victory but of course with cancer a lot of times it can come back even more vicious and so we found out that my father's cancer has come back and he's got leukemia and lymphoma and it is flaring up again and this last weekend he had his first round of chemotherapy infusion treatment So I'm talking to my dad, who is weak and who is in pain, and it's just, you're 500 miles away, he's all the way up there in New Jersey, and I'm down here, and and it's just, it's so difficult, and you guys know that. And last weekend, my youngest sister, still in New Jersey, lives real close to my parents, my youngest sister, her six-week-old son named Rylan, they noticed that when he was born, again, six weeks old, his skull had prematurely fused together you know that even for the first couple of years in an infant, there's a soft spot um, so that the brain can continue to grow as things continue to form. That, it didn't happen that way for him. He had his skull already fused together and last weekend they had to do surgery, brain surgery on Little Ryland. And, you know, my sister sent me this picture that is my father there on the left who actually kind of looks like Ernest Hemingway, ironically. And then that's my little uh, nephew over there, Little Ryland, and it's like, they're 77 years apart. But there's, there's pain and there's difficulty and there's a heaviness going on between both of them. One of them fully understands and the other has no clue. I really feel like in going through this and walking through this and um, just where I sense the Spirit of God was leading for this morning has to do with John chapter 11. Because here we see such an incredibly powerful side of Jesus. This is at the tail End of his public ministry. As a matter of fact, John chapter 11 and the death of Lazarus and raising him from the dead, which is what the chapter is about, is the last public miracle that Jesus did. And the way John paints this picture, it's like a culmination in momentum building up to this incredible scene where you see all the power of God's deity and all the frailty of his humanity together at one scene. And it's absolutely fascinating. There's such a beauty in the background of this passage. And, and I want to just let you know that I've just kind of arranged the message in four statements uh, that we can draw out of the text here. And I'll mention those to you as we're going along, if you're taking notes. But it was a heavy week for Jesus. And in chapter 1, we see that the story unfolds. It says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now I want you to notice in verse 2 it says, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And I just think it's so fascinating. We just sang about that scene in that last song that we did, right? Jesus, we love you. And we have heard of that story, and that story is told all throughout, right? But the only thing that's really interesting about John's account is this hasn't happened yet. It's like a parenthetical here in verse 2 of chapter 11, because if you turn over to chapter 12, oh, there it is, Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. So it's almost like John is one of those friends who goes to a movie with you, And maybe he's already seen the movie or maybe he read the spoiler alert and something crazy happens and your friend's like, oh, that's okay, he doesn't really die. He's still alive. Yeah, you'll see at the end. And John's like tipping his hat to like, hey, you know what? I'm about ready to enter into a really difficult thing. But hey, you need to know it works out okay. Okay. And Mary, who is so heartbroken, you'll see here, it it all works out okay. She's actually worshiping Jesus in the very next chapter, and I've already told you about that, but I'll really tell you about it here, but here it is. Fascinating. So anyway, so here we are in chapter 2, and that's who it is, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus is ill. And uh, verse 3, it says, So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, he who you love is And I want you to, if you're taking notes, the first thing that we want to talk about here uh, is is found in in verse 4. And it's that this, suffering allows for God's glory to be displayed. In verse 4, you see that. Here's what Jesus says. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified it. and this is a fascinating concept that you see oftentimes throughout scripture and you've heard this before there's something bigger in your story going on than just your tiny little minute scene and jesus is saying yes i know he's sick my heart is there with him but this sickness is actually for my glory and you'll see what's going to happen but just wait and see What's ironic is that's very similar to what happened in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. You see this same kind of idea, this same kind of concept. Again, John's almost like building up to this big crescendo, this, this apex, this peak. As he's telling you about Jesus in John chapter 9, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or this man's parents, that he was born blind? And friends, isn't that what we do when bad things happen? Why did this happen? Whose fault is this? What could possibly be going on? But notice what Jesus says in verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We take confidence this morning. And knowing that anything that happens, anything that comes along the line, even though we don't understand it, is somehow an opportunity to give God glory. And what's fascinating about this is in John chapter 1, verse 4, way in the beginning, as John is kind of painting this picture, I am writing this so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. Look what he says in verse 4. Jesus in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He paints you that picture in the beginning. We've got light and we've got life. Now here we are in John chapter 9, and you've got a situation where there's a man who's blind, living in darkness, and Jesus gives him light. And then in John chapter 11, a man, Lazarus, who has died, and Jesus gives him life. Isn't that incredible? He sees it right there, and he's crafting this argument. Uh, Light and life. Oh, and here's the real-life examples of Jesus giving life and Jesus giving light. So what do we do with this? How do we respond to all of this? What kind of concepts can we get from this passage? Number two, sometimes love waits. Sometimes love waits. I'm like, hold on, what are you talking about? Are you talking about true love waits? That campaign from the 90s and the early 2000s, anybody remember that? That's about like, you know, sexuality and like true love really waits for marriage. And why are you saying that sometimes love waits, but sometimes love doesn't wait? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we're in the midst of difficulty and we want God to respond right now, but sometimes love waits. And it's not in our timetable. Let's follow this through. This is absolutely fascinating. Start reading in verse 5. It says, now Jesus loved. Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I want you to underline that word love. That is the word agape. And the reason that that's important is because in verse 3, you can see the messenger came and here was the message, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's a different word for love. The messenger and others are using that word phileo in the greek which means a brotherly kind of love a friendship kind of love oh jesus by the way remember your friend lazarus the one he used to hang around with and you guys always had such a great time and i know that you had an affection for him and a friendship for him yeah he's sick but john here is purposefully using a totally different word in verse five and says jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. That's agape. Jesus is self-sacrificing. Jesus is serving. Jesus is lifting them up and demonstrating his love for them. And verse 6 is so huge because it says this. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. I want you to notice verse 5 and verse 6 are intricately connected. Jesus loved them, so he stayed longer. Jesus loved them, so he waited. And there should be a big, massive question mark at the end of of our understanding of this. But how often do we enter into that same type of banter with God and questioning God? If you love me, why wouldn't you come immediately? Why would you make me wait? As a matter of fact, Jesus paints the picture um, even more clearly for his disciples. Skip down to verse 13. He had told them that Lazarus has died. And it says, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Notice verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Jesus is like, I know this is hard, but please just hang in there with me. I'm waiting for a reason. I'm waiting for a purpose. I'm pausing for something even more significant. I want you to think about this concept. The longer the wait, the bigger the weight of glory. Jesus enters into this story. It's difficult. He loves them, but... He knows what he's doing, and he's obeying his father's will, not what other people want him to do immediately. There's a couple important things that you need to know about Jewish burial customs. Lazarus had died. Jesus was probably a couple of days' journey away, right? The messenger came and said, he who you love is sick. And Jesus waited two more days, and then it probably took him a couple more days to get there. So by the time that he actually came on the scene in verse 17, when Jesus came, he found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He had totally missed it. You need to know that in the ancient Jewish world, they had a lot of beliefs that were influenced by certain rabbis and certain mystics, uh, mingled together with some pagan theologies. And for many in the Jewish world, they believed that when the body died, the spirit of the body hovered over for three days. And the Egyptians were the ones that really perfected the idea of mummification and they used all kinds of chemicals and solutions to really preserve the body. The Jews didn't do that. The Jews knew that, you know, Jesus is going to resurrect the body. We don't want to preserve the flesh and everything. We'll let them do that. But all we're going to do is we're going to take about 75 or 100 pounds of spices and all kinds of uh, fresh smelling um, plants and aromas and herbs and we're going to wrap the body starting from the feet all the way up the hands included and wrap it all along with the 75 or 100 pounds of spices so that the stench won't be so overbearing remember that friend in gym class after being out there as a sweaty mess instead of taking the shower like oh it's okay I got some of this axe you know yeah nice try that doesn't really work right and the same thing for the Jews they're like yeah we're trying our best but it's still not going to be good but they believed That for three days, the soul was kind of restless. And if there was going to be some sort of resurrection, or if the soul was going to somehow go back in the body, three days was the time frame. And when that third day hit, that's it. It wouldn't happen. Pretty ironic, considering what happens later on in Scripture, right? But it was for that very reason that Jesus waited four days. So that he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus, and it was going to be above and beyond anything that the mystics thought. He waited. Sometimes love waits, and it's not according to our timing. Let's keep on reading as we enter into this scene, this powerful scene. Skip down to verse um, 20 or so. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Once again, failed expectations. You're the healer. You're the miracle worker. I've seen you do it before. We spent a lot of time with you. Why would you wait? Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And this is so great. This is another little beautiful nugget in here. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is going to happen. And verse 24, Mary's almost in that moment. And I don't know if you've been there before, um, but Martha, or sorry, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Okay, thanks for the reminder. Right? You ever been there? Honestly, I mean, I know we're talking about serious stuff, but man, when you're really struggling and you're going through a hard time and the wound is so fresh and then somebody will just come in, they'll be like, oh, you know what? It's okay. You'll see him again. That's fine. Don't you know the Bible says, you know, and just coming in like that. And it's almost like Martha thought that that's what Jesus was doing. Like, I know I'm going to see him again on the last day. But please, this is pretty fresh. Like, I'm just hurting right now, okay? It's not what I need to hear, some quick answer about what's going to happen way off in the future. And we enter into this incredible emotional scene of intense deity and unbelievable humanity jesus says to her no 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 no, you don't understand verse 25 one of the great i am statements in in all of the book of john jesus says i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he die yet he will live and here he gave her a hint of what's about ready to happen now as Jesus comes in, and the third point that we want to enter into here and, and really unpack is the idea that Jesus enters in. Jesus enters in. Well, what do you mean? We'll skip down to verse 32. Again, Jesus is on the scene. The burial practices are there's mourning and professional whalers and people playing the flute everywhere. And this is just a really difficult, sorrowful scene. It's already been the three days. We know he's not going to rise again. And yet Jesus comes on the scene, verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same exact thing that Martha said to him. And you know that was the conversation in the household. What about Jesus? Why isn't he here? Why can't he heal him? Man, if Jesus had just been here, this wouldn't have happened. Notice in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. That's an incredible phrase right there. In his spirit, and greatly troubled. And the text that we're talking about here is a situation where it's almost like everything's starting to move in slow motion. And Jesus is there with his disciples and he's looking around and he's seeing everybody sobbing and crying and hurting so deeply. And in his spirit, he was so troubled and he was so moved. And Jesus can barely muster out the words, but he says, take me to where he is. Where is he? And they said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35 our word to live by two words john 11:35 jesus wept and that's such a powerful phrase because it's almost like that moment of bursting into tears you've been holding it together for a while some of you who are parents you know this you've seen this situation where your son or your daughter is struggling or they're injured or whatever and they've been trying to hold it together but finally when mom or dad gets there in that moment that you embrace all of a sudden now they just let it loose that's what happened here jesus wept And notice the people around him saw Jesus sobbing. Verse 36. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Phileo. Brotherly friendship. They still didn't get it. So in this sorrowful scene, we've got a God who enters in. We have to ask ourselves, The question at this moment in the text, why is Jesus crying? At first thought, you would have been like, well, it's his friend Lazarus. That's what everybody else thought, right? Man, he lost his friend. This is so sad. This is so terrible. The whole reason Jesus took this trek and even waited, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. In a matter of 30 seconds or five minutes or whatever it was, he knew Lazarus is going to be fine. He couldn't have been weeping because Lazarus was dead. Instead, what you see is Jesus, even in his deity. You see his humanity. And you see him looking around at the brokenness of people, of disease and the sorrow that death brings. And in his humanity, he connected with that. And he entered in with us to those moments. When we think about difficult things that happen, and we think about how God can still get glory through them, and we think about resonating with those who have overcome, I came across a story a few weeks back that just floored me. It was so powerful. It was about a young woman by the name of Rebecca Gregory. And she was a, a young mom, had a three-year-old son, and she had decided to go to the Boston Marathon to sit there and to cheer on some friends who were running in the race. And Rebecca was sitting there on the stands. Her son was sitting right uh, on, on her knee, and she didn't know this, but three feet away from her was a backpack filled with explosives. Explosives. And you know the story, that bomb went off, she was virtually right there on top of it, her leg was incredibly injured, but because she was holding her son right here, she became a human shield for her son, her three-year-old son, who was fine. And Rebecca Gregory went through dozens of surgeries, finally they decided they had to amputate the leg. And for years she was recovering and she was exercising and she was trying to get back what she once had. And it was her faith in Jesus Christ that brought her through. And she's actually even got a whole entire book out right now that talks about, man, if this had never happened to me, I would never have had this platform to explain about forgiveness and and about the goodness of God. And even now, to this day, on her leg, on her prosthetic leg, it says, blessed on it. Talk about somebody who understands tragedy and can see the bigger reasoning behind it. But man, I I came across this documentary, and it was a scene where Rebecca was going to go back for the very first time back to Boston. She had been training. She wanted to run in the marathon. The very same spot she goes back to because she wanted to relive that moment. She wanted to stand there and she wanted to experience and revisit all of this. And the scene was so gripping and so incredible. And I actually have it here for you and I want you to watch it. And I want you to take in the reaction of the people around her. Because I think, when somebody's struggling and they're struggling alone or seemingly alone, the reaction of the crowd around her is what gripped my heart. That moment was so huge to me when I saw that because it's like, these are a bunch of people around that they don't know her and they've got two legs that are perfectly fine. But yet somehow they see somebody who's suffering and somebody who's going through something in a stand of solidarity. They just, okay, you're, you're collapsing, you're sitting down, I'm going to sit down. And I'm not going to move until you get up. And to me, that just so beautifully captured the essence of what we see multiplied by a million in the life of Jesus and what he exemplified When Jesus wept, he wasn't saying, I don't know the future. He wasn't saying, "Uh, man, I I don't know if I could raise him from the dead or not. I don't see how this whole thing pans out. when Jesus wept, he was saying, the pain of humanity, the pain of brokenness and loneliness and sorrow and the curse of sin, I'm going to enter into that. And I'm going to grieve with you. Hebrews chapter 4 really highlights this for us. It talks about the idea that, man, we don't have a priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. We've got a God who enters in. Hebrews chapter 5 even gives us a little bit more of, uh, of insight into the life of Jesus, our high priest. It says, In the days of Jesus' flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and with tears to him who was able to save him. Jesus himself called out to God, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I don't want this to happen with loud sobs and tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we think about this Christ that we serve, I can't help but compare him to the Greeks and their deities. John MacArthur says that the Greeks describe their gods by one word, apatheia. We translate that into the English word apathetic in other words their deities had no ability to feel pain, no ability to feel emotion, no ability to care, they were far off and I'm telling you this morning we serve a God and a Christ who entered in and a God who not only heals but a God who also feels and I don't know where that lands on you this morning but I'd love for us just to bow our heads and to close our eyes. And I just want to pray for us as our band comes out. Our great Father and our great God, we just thank you for who you are. And Lord, we thank you that your son, Jesus, felt everything that we felt. And Lord, we thank you even in one moment we could see how he entered in, how he connected with our story and put himself in our place. And God, I just ask from the bottom of my heart that whatever's going on in this room, whatever weight, whatever heaviness is being felt, Lord, that we would take courage in knowing we've got a God who is there for us and a Savior who has been there. So we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for this account. In Jesus' name we pray. So I'd invite all you guys to stand up And I wanted you to stand up For this last point Because we're not exactly done But we just have like Three minutes so it's okay So this is not the end of the story Of course right We know what happens next Jesus after he weeps After he enters in he's like okay Well I'm going to show you the solution I'm going to show you the picture I'm going to show you what I've known all along And with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And I love uh, the King James version of this, ironically, because in this account, it's Mary who's like, "Um, Lord, are you sure you want to do this? Because King James, um, he stinketh. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter. And I want you to notice that difference. Because other times when Jesus raised someone from the dead, it was they immediately died and he raised this girl from the dead or this son immediately. This was the first time that it was extended and it was ugly. But Jesus wanted to prove to us that he's not afraid of the stench of humanity. And remember the scene, he calls Lazarus out. And remember, Lazarus is bound hand and foot is what the text says. With a hundred pounds of all kinds of spices and everything else. And it says that Lazarus came forth. How do you come forth when you're bound hand and foot? I'm serious, that's what the text says. And I love what Jesus says in verse 44. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips. See, I didn't make that up. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And you know what the literal translation of that is? Our fourth point right here Set him free and send him out. We know this has been difficult, but my grace has been sufficient and my miracle has been evidence and my passion has been displayed. But now it's time to set him free and to send him out. And the glorious nature of John chapter 11 is that all of us here, if we belong to Jesus, at one point we were bound and now we are free. Amen. So let's sing this song out together. This song is called Resurrecting. And we want to sing about the resurrected life that we now enjoy because Jesus has set us free.